First Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for injured, perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first... Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to speak this morning on the subject of insights into Paul's testimony. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for Paul's testimony, and we pray as we bring forth these simple insights, Lord, nothing profound but things that we need to hear. And no doubt if there be someone here today that is without Jesus Christ as their Savior, we pray that they might see that, Lord, they could have a wonderful testimony. They could have not only a home in heaven, but a changed life. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take and use this time together. Help us to speak clearly, concisely. May the Holy Spirit of God lead us and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So today's Sunday morning sermon is really from our Sunday PM study in First Timothy. We looked last week in the evening service at verse number 8, and we saw the proper understanding and use of the Old Testament law. I'm not going to go into that by way of review. I'm going to save time as much as possible here this morning. But if you were not here last Sunday night, I would encourage you to get on our website and to check out that lesson, because it is imperative for every child of God that we understand the Old Testament law. We need to understand that uh, this modern Christian culture of anything that any preacher that says something that's contrary to how I want to live my life, you can't just say, well, that's in the Old Testament. We read our first verse of our text today. Paul said that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. We need to understand how to use the Old Testament law, how to apply it, and certainly how it does not apply to the Christian life. 
So we pick up further with the truth about the law in verse number 9. Now, as we think about Paul's testimony and the insights that he reveals, you know, Paul was not a self-centered man. He was, in fact, he was far from being self-centered. He went through a lot for other people in order to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. But I'll say this about Paul. While he wasn't self-centered, he never got over talking about his testimony. If he had an opportunity in the book of Acts, whether he was before King Agrippa or Festus or uh, any other group of people, one of the first things that Paul would talk about is his own personal testimony. Folks, talking about your testimony is not self-centered. Because a testimony is not about us, it's not our reputation, our testimony is what people think about our Savior. It's what people think about our Christianity, and we ought to have, if you don't have a testimony, you ought to get one, and if you have a testimony, you ought to protect it, and make sure that you're living a life so that you are adding validity to Christianity. I look around us. And sadly, the majority of Christians in America today aren't bringing validity to the gospel, but rather they are a detriment. Paul said in another place, he said, I tell you now, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the gospel of Christ. Paul said, if any man name the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. Now, I've got three insights for you out of our passage that I want to bring to, just bring to light regarding Paul's testimony. Insight number one, we want to talk about the relationship of the law to the gospel. Look with me once again in verse number nine, where Paul said, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. We'll get to this list of sins here in just a moment. But verse number 11, Paul says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Verse number 11, Paul makes it clear that while the law is not something that saves you, there is a connection between the law and the gospel. Verse 9 says, the law is not for a righteous man. Listen, when sin entered into this world... When sin came in at the Garden of Eden, so did the knowledge of good and evil. You and I inherited a knowledge of good and evil. Romans chapter number 1 says that all men have a conscience. Now, your conscience is not infallible, and as Jiminy Cricket said, your conscience is should not be your guide. We have an absolute truth here. We have God's Word. God's Word ought to be our guide. But that does not mean that people without the Bible don't have a conscience. That knowledge of good and evil, it came into us because we were created in the image of God. And even though man fell, we still have that likeness and we still have that inherent nature that God put in us that's different than the animal kingdom. We don't always know if we're doing wrong, 
But we will feel the symptoms and we will certainly experience the consequences. You know, there's some times where there's a still small voice inside of us where we're doing certain behavior and we can't give you a chapter and verse. Maybe we don't even, we haven't memorized the Ten Commandments or we don't know what the Word of God says, but everyone, there are certain things that you know in your heart of hearts, you know in your gut that it's just wrong. No preacher had to tell you. No parent had to discipline you when you violated that or crossed that particular line. You just know it in your heart of hearts. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 5.31, he said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. You know, I, so when I get sick, I don't always know what I got. We always, we, you know, this day and age, we've got the internet. We can Google what our symptoms are. Doctors hate that, by the way. And more often than not, we can feel like that Google answered our questions, but a lot of times, self-diagnosis, we're wrong. But we're feeling symptoms of our sickness, but we don't know exactly what caused it. That's the same thing in human nature. Listen, God didn't have to tell Adam that he was naked. As soon as he partook of that fruit, he recognized that, hey, I'm naked, I have this knowledge of good and evil. Something changed in my conscience, and now I'm aware of it. He didn't understand all of the ramifications of it, but he felt the concert. He felt the effect of sin that entered into his life. And that's the same with every human being. That's why Paul said that the law is not made for a righteous man, but it's made for the lawless and disobedient. Now, these are some serious sins that are mentioned in this list. And I think we all ought to take a look at these things. And, uh, you know, you may have some things in this list that you are guilty of. You may have some things that you have been guilty of in the past. But if this law is connected to the gospel message, according to verse number 11, I'd say this is in here for a purpose. Being lawless and disobedient, that means a total or partial disregard for the rules. Have you noticed we live in a day and age where rules just aren't as important as they used to be? You know why a lot of times that our children really just kind of take rules lightly? It's because they see that their parents don't take rules very seriously. Oh, that's for everybody else. And listen, I, I don't, I don't like being nitpicky about stuff because, you know, all of us in one degree or another, when nobody's looking, we're going to do something to break somebody's rule. I guarantee you, most of you probably, maybe you kind of fudge on the speed limit just a little bit if you're in a hurry or if you're wanting to shave some time off of your trip. I'm not preaching against speeding. I'm just simply saying that that is a rule. And you know if you go a certain amount over the speed limit and you pass by a, an officer of the law, especially a state trooper, particularly a female state trooper, you're getting a ticket. <laughs> I know that from experience. One of the few tickets that I've gotten in my life was by a female officer. And 
I explained to her, and Brother Max remembers the days when we were uh, we were carpooling. We had a long drive out to Mountain Home Air Force Base, and one particular morning, I was having to stop and pick up uh, Joe. Uh, he was our our foreman. I had to pick him up. He lived in downtown Meridian. They had done some street renovation, and I went the same same path to get to his house as I had probably twenty times before. And lo and behold, that when I turned onto one street to another street, I got pulled over. And so the lady police officer, she said, uh, she looks at my license. She said, now, Mr. Mitchell, you, you know that the speed limit here is 25. And I said, no, I, it was, it's 35. And she said, well, it, it, they changed it last week. And I thought, Okay, well, I said, I just pulled onto this street two blocks ago. I have not seen a speed limit sign. And she says, yeah, there's not one there. And so I thought, well, she's going to understand and she's going to write me a warning. Not a chance. I got a ticket and I had to pay the ticket. I thought that was really, really rotten because I had no way of knowing But I knew then, (laughs) from then on out, I knew the speed limit's that. You better be aware of it. We have uh, in our culture a disregard for rules. Parents, set a good example for your children. If you got rules at the workplace, in the community, in the church house, you know, those rules are there for a purpose. You don't want chaos. And I know sometimes rules can appear to be nitpicky, and sometimes rules, as you look at it, it's like, you know what, that really, uh, that is there to keep something from getting out of hand, and I'm not going to get out of hand with it, so that rule really doesn't apply to me. Yeah, well, maybe it does, and your children don't understand that. And so when there's a rule, I would encourage you to set a good example. Don't teach your children to be lawless and disobedient. Because that's not a good thing. Hey, how about this phrase here for ungodly and sinners? You know, the lawless and disobedient have a disregard for rules. The ungodly and sinners have a disregard for God. Who is he to tell me what to do? I can do whatever I want. And then there's the unholy and profane. That's a disregard for moral standards. We know what unholy means. God is holy, so anything that's not like God is unholy. But profane, that's a different thing. We talk about when people talk uh, like the common man. We call it vulgarity. We call it profanity. Basically, profanity is just being like the world around us, being like the common man. And we use that term to describe curse words coming out of our mouth. But listen, being profane, there's a whole lot more to being profane than just the words that come out of our mouth. It's the way that you live your life. I know I'm preaching to some people that are saved and on their way to heaven today, but you are living a life that's profane. There's not much difference in the way that you conduct yourself and live your life, the places that you go, the things you watch, the things that you listen to, the things that you are part of, all of those things. You can't really say there's much difference between me and the people out there that don't know my Savior. You know what that is? That's profane. 
How about murderers of fathers and mothers? You know, I wondered why, why Paul put it that way. Why not just murderers? And here's what came to my mind. Do you know that even, even the, um, the wildlife, the hunting regulations, do you know that they won't let you, you're not supposed to shoot an animal that has children with it. If, if a bear has got cubs with it, that's against the law to shoot that cub. You don't, you don't mess with mama. Now, in deer season, you can shoot daddy. And by the way, I saw a big old buck right down here, Chipley Ford and Museum Road the other night. We were driving by, and right there off the side of the road, it was heading up the bank, and it had a rack. I thought maybe I was in Idaho there for a second. See how many points was on it. I didn't have time to count. I'm just trying to stay on the road, make sure I'm not hitting a deer. But all I know is that in my headlights, this was a big old rack. And that deer is camped out right here around the church. It's just not far away. So if anybody wants it, get permission and go get it. You have another week or so before hunting season's over. But even hunting laws say you don't, you don't kill a mom or a dad. Why? Because not only did you take their life, you just took away a parent from a child. We're living in a day and age where there doesn't seem to be that much regard for the importance of family. We've got so many people that are either through a violent crime or just through default. This ought to tell us not only the value that God places on parents as far as murdering them, taking them away, but also when children have to grow up without parents by default, and by irresponsibility, that's a serious thing. God lumps it right here in this list of very serious sins. Manslayers. You know, the difference between a manslayer and a murderer, a murderer is someone who plots it and plans it. The manslayer is someone who takes another's life out of reaction whether it be road rage or... And listen, we are living in a day and age where people have violence in their heart. You mess with me, I'll kill you. And that's really the attitude, and they wear that. And, and, and there's just... Where is that coming from? Well, we're living in a day and age... We don't have a Roman Colosseum, and we don't have gladiators, but listen, most of our entertainment is not about healthy competition, it's about violence. And it's very much like it was in Nineveh and in the days of Lot and in the days of Noah. And God says that the the world was corrupt, that violence has filled the earth. It's not a good thing, folks. And then there's whoremongers. We definitely live in a day and age where there there are a lot of whoremongers. That's lewd behavior, anything that is sexually illicit. Men, if you have a pornography problem, you're a whoremonger. Anyone who has sexual relations to a person they're not married to, that is 
being a whore and a whoremonger. So that's really, really some pretty, pretty rough language. Yeah, it's God's language, folks. God doesn't sugarcoat it. It's not an affair. It's adultery. And we need to remember that. It's a serious thing. How about them that defile themselves with mankind? Boy, have you ever seen a time in our life where there's more perversions than there are today? I mean, we've got almost the whole alphabet taken up. LGBTQ, and then also some other signs like plus. I guess plus means anything else. They ran out of letters in the alphabet, so they got to start using signs and symbols. You name it. You know, there are even more perverse things that pagan cultures have done in the past. And I'm telling you, it's just around the corner. Where do you draw the line? Let me move on. Men stealers. We're not living in a day and age, at least not in our culture, where slavery is an issue. That's certainly been an issue of morality in times gone by. And uh, regardless of what anyone thinks, I'd like to just say publicly as a white male American, I am against slavery, always have been, always will be. I think that it was a horrible sin in our nation. But today we don't deal with that, but we certainly have what is, in my opinion, even worse, sex trafficking, taking little girls and little boys and kidnapping them and raising them in order to do favors for, you talk about perverse, disgusting stuff, disgusting stuff, liars. That's any type of deceit. Perjured person. Perjury is when a person swears falsely. And then at the end here it says, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. If the law that Paul is listing here, if it missed your sin, then Paul just wraps it all up together that anything that you've got in your life that's contrary to sound doctrine, the word of God, then that's what the law is there for. It's not for a righteous man, it's for you. Now, why does Paul say that? Well, the law cannot save you unless you're perfect. How many of you are sinless and perfect? You've never committed any sin whatsoever, never in your whole life. No one here and no one on planet Earth. There was only one. And we celebrate his birth this month. And that's Jesus Christ. So what about the law? Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Now that's not a contradictory uh, truth to what I said earlier, that down deep we know, our conscience tells us, but we just don't understand it. It's like, it's like what I said. You may have a symptom of being sick, 
but you don't know the diagnosis. You go to the doctor and the doctor does some examination and says, well, this is why you have the symptom. And if he accurately prescribes it, then he may be able to accurately, or excuse me, if he accurately diagnoses it, he might be able to accurately give you a prescription to help you with your problem. Well, the law comes in and says, this is why you're sick. This is why you feel this way. This is why you're experiencing this consequences because you are going contrary to what God said, thou shalt not. Galatians 3 verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law doesn't make you righteous or well, but it certainly will reveal to you that you are sick, that you have a need. Romans 3.19, now we know that whatsoever, that what things soever the law saith, It saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Boy, I've heard it so many times as a preacher. You know, people will say, well, preacher this, blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that, yada, yada, yada. I know you preach against this, but here's my circumstances and here's the way that I see it. Excuses, excuses, justification, justification. Well, I know I do this, but I'm not as bad as that. And human nature just goes blah, 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 blah. And God says that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world become guilty. Before who? Before God. You may be able to convince yourself that you're okay. You may be able to convince other people in your life that you're okay, but we will never convince God that we're okay. He knows it all. In woodworking, I have some tools in my shop that I don't actually build anything with them, but they are extremely valuable. Tools like measuring tapes, rulers, levels, squares, calipers, straight edges, spacer blocks, All of these are vital in the process, but I've never taken, I'm trying to think if I've ever done it in desperation, I've never taken a tape measure and tried to hammer a nail with it. Pliers maybe, anything that I can find, but I've never tried to hammer a nail with a tape measure. But I sure have used it to measure I sure have used a straight edge to put up against a board. And listen, you can look at that board and say it looks straight, but you stick it next to that straight edge and you say, whoa, it's got, it's got a warp. And if it's got just a little bit of a warp here in this two foot section, an eight foot section is going to have an even bigger warp. What are those tools used for? They're for measuring. They're for standards. They're to reveal the condition of what you're getting ready to work on. That's exactly what the law does. It shows us who we are. It reveals what our sickness is so that we can have hope and recognize our need to get a solution. That brings me to insight number two. And this is a little bit more positive. God is not limited by your past. 
verse 12 through 16, it is so encouraging of what God can do with a sinner. Paul never got over the change that God worked in his life when he trusted Jesus Christ. Paul had spent many time, many years, I mean, months rejecting Jesus Christ. In fact, when he, when God met him on the road to Damascus, God literally spoke in an audible voice and he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That prick was a, was like a goad that farmers would use when they're plowing and they'd take that sharp piece of metal on the end of a stick and they'd just jab that ox in the back of the leg to try to get its attention. And that's what the Holy Spirit of God had been doing in the heart and conscience of the Apostle Paul. And he says, it's hard for you. You keep resisting. You keep justifying. You keep trying to just put me out of your heart and mind. But God was speaking to Paul. Speaking to his heart. Now God was speaking audibly. Paul never got over what God did for him when he showed up there on the road to Damascus. And Paul said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Paul was done rejecting. He was finished uh, resisting the Lord. He was ready to receive what he knew in his heart of hearts was the truth all along. Look at verse number 12. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. God enabled him, folks. Now when we use the term enabling, we use it today as a negative term. Enabling today is when someone tries to protect others from the full impact and consequences of their behavior. That's what an enabler does. And listen, we we talk about a culture today that's full of enablers. I mean, enabling is part of today's parenting. Don't be an enabler. Let your children suffer consequences of their behavior. If you don't, then they're going to think that God, they're going to think that they can manipulate God, that there won't be consequences with God. But I got news, there is. Help them. Don't hinder them by enabling them. But God's using this term enabling in a positive way. Paul is trying to be faithful. But God is the one that ultimately is helping him. He said that God hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 10. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Well, it almost sounds like Paul's being self-sufficient. Paul's almost bragging on how hard of a worker that he's been. No, no. He said, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You know what Paul provided to the Lord? A willing heart. I want to serve you. I'm trying. I'm doing the best I know to be faithful. But he knew and understood that he couldn't do it on his own. He was insufficient in and of himself. He needed God's grace and God's help. So do you and I. You talk about an insight. God's not limited by your past. 
God counted him faithful. He didn't say that I was faithful. He said God counted me faithful. And I believe that it was the Holy Spirit's way of saying that I could count on the Apostle Paul. Can God count on you? Do you have a heart for God? You trying to serve him? Verse number 13, who was before a blasphemer and persecutor and injurious. He said, you know, the rebel knows better but does it anyway. Paul said, I did this ignorantly and in unbelief. Paul wasn't saying I'm being a rebel. He said, I just didn't know any better. Sin is sin, no matter whether you know better or not. But I believe that the Bible teaches that if you reject God and you know better, I believe it's a it's a more serious thing with God. You know, I look at my own testimony. When I got right with the Lord, literally, I, if I compared the things that I did in high school with the things that many people that I know, the things that they did in their teenage years, if we were keeping a record, a list, honestly, there's probably in a lot of ways that my list would not look that bad to some people. But I'm telling you, when I got right with God, I didn't think that way about my list. I could relate to the Apostle Paul. I thought that I was the worst sinner that ever lived. Literally, I felt that way. And you know why? It's because I did a lot of things that I knew better. I was taught better by my parents. I was raised in church. I knew, I didn't know everything that the Word of God says, but I knew enough. And I knew in my heart of hearts the things that I was doing as a Christian. I knew that God was against it. I I knew that I was saved, and yet I did it anyways. And I believe that it, it was an added mercy of God that God got a hold of my heart. Now, maybe... Maybe as I was kicking against the pricks of God, maybe that's why God, when I was 19, he said to my heart, he said, Randy, you better get right. Or maybe God wasn't going to put up with it much longer. I know people that they stray away from God and they they live a lot of years in the hog pen. For me, three or four years was about all that God was going to put up with. And maybe it was because I knew better. You know, you're here in a Bible-believing church. Many of you, you know better. I got news for you. God doesn't take that lightly. God, I'm not saying that God's not merciful to the rebel. But I am saying this, that you're a whole lot better off to be ignorant than to be rebellious. Verse number 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul was not your typical poster child sinner. You know, you think about sinners today. I mean, you got a view in your mind. You can just see and they look like some biker gang or somebody off of some gang member in some big inner city. 
Paul was not that poster child, but Paul was something that in many ways is even worse. He was very devout in his religion. He was as religious as a man could be. But the problem was his religion. He was wrong. He had committed his life and he was zealously following a religion that was a false religion. That's a difficult thing to overcome. There's a lot of people that they're going to end up in hell because they won't reject their parents or their grandparents' religion. Even though in their heart of hearts they know that it's not true and it's not right. That's where Paul was. He's persecuting. He's going against Jesus Christ. You know, there's probably a lot of the uh, Muslim world out there that they're willing to they're willing to sacrifice their life for their God and their religion. They're deceived. They're zealous. They're sincere, but they're wrong. And according to the Bible, they will end up in hell because they're without Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No one gets to heaven by their religion. We only get to heaven by our relationship with Jesus Christ. I read this and I see that the grace of God will make you want to change. You don't like to change. I don't like change. The older I get, the less that I like change. I used to preach this all the time. Come to Jesus Christ and he'll change your life. And you just watch people like, I'm not interested. I'm okay with my life right now. That's the common man. But I'm telling you, when the law, when God's measuring stick comes up against your life and you realize just how bad you are, you might think a little bit differently. Verse number 16, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should believe, uh, should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul was an example of just how far that the grace of God can reach. What Paul's saying is he said, if God can save me, he can save anybody. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I like what one preacher said. If God can save the chief, he can save you little Indians. It's true. God can save anybody. When I think about this insight into Paul's testimony... And I've already mentioned it briefly. I think about how horrible I felt when I got right with God. Not when I got right, but before I got right with God. What led up to it? I, I spent the last, my, my whole, from graduating high school, and I got right with God just a few months before I turned 20. I was under conviction that whole time. I had some miserable nights of just gritting my teeth, I mean, getting 10 hours sleep and waking up feeling exhausted because it wasn't good sleep. There was no peace in my heart. The Holy Spirit was bothering me and it just seemed like that everything, my gut was just knotted up at all times. And, you know, I'd, I'd go and I'd do the things that I used to do that I found pleasure in 
they weren't pleasure. The, the guilt, the conviction just was so strong that it made the pleasure of that sin not very pleasurable. And there was a lot of things I just found myself just withdrawing from friends and withdrawing from life because I just found that all of those things that I was living for, all they did was just leave me empty. And the Holy Spirit just kept speaking and kept pricking my heart and pricking my heart. And I just got to the point where God said, enough, get right or I don't know what or else. He didn't tell me. He didn't show me. I just knew that it's like, I can't live like this anymore. I'm miserable. I felt horrible. And that's exactly how the Apostle Paul, I can relate to the Apostle Paul's testimony. And if you've ever experienced conviction and repentance, then you can as well. And then my last insight, number three. And I don't have a whole lot to say about this because it really speaks for itself. And that is this, God's grace is for us, but it's not about us. Verse 17, Paul says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, to Him, He's saying, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's not patting himself on the back. He's not saying, look at me and what I did. I accepted Jesus Christ and I became a preacher of the gospel. And uh, he wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. If you would have asked Paul, are you saved? Paul wouldn't have said, oh yeah, like some people say today. I, I just can't get over when people, oh yeah, like of course. What, what's up with that? If you're truly saved, you don't go, oh yeah, you go... Praise the Lord. Yeah, I got in by the grace of God. I was on my way to hell, but God reached down and rescued me and saved me. You're in awe over that. It's not like, oh yeah. It's not about us. It's for us. Thank God we get to go to heaven. We get our sins forgiven. We get to be with Jesus for all eternity. Those are the blessings, but God saves us. For his glory and his honor. John the Baptist understood a thing or two about this concept when he said in John 3.30, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's certainly the way the Apostle Paul's testimony was. In conclusion, can you relate to Paul? I, I can. I hope you can. But only you can answer that question. I was thinking about human nature and our testimony and how people relate to God and relate to one another. And it made me think about how, have you noticed how people today are excessively enamored with their pets? If you have a pet, if you're a pet lover, just, you can buckle your seatbelt. I do, I mean you no harm. But wouldn't you agree, especially some of you old timers, can remember when pets were you had them for a purpose you had a guard dog or a you know a sheep dog and they served a function what do most pets serve as a function today just for the pleasure of the owner and it just seems like people are excessive people drive down the road dangerously with their dog sitting on their lap and if 
you do that, once again, I mean no offense, but don't do that anymore. It's dangerous. Seriously. (laughs) Why is that today? Why is it just all of a sudden, I mean, people pay... It's, it's amazing what pe- people spend as much money on their pets as they do their kids. And I mean, you can abuse a child and get away with it way easier than you can a dog. And they'll stick you under the jail if you abuse an animal. You know what I'm saying is the truth. Why is that? Well, you ought to think about the psychology behind that. Pets respond so easily to both your love as well as your disapproval. You can scold your pet just with a tone of voice and they'll just, they'll just shrink. They, they want to please you. They want to satisfy you. I mean, if you're having a bad day and you can just, you know, you know, get out of my way, Fido. You can talk to them mean and they'll get out of your way. And next thing you know, they're coming up and they're loving on you. It's unconditional. You feel like you have power. You don't feel vulnerable. You don't feel like the relationship is so conditional and complicated. There's a psychology behind that. Once again, I'm not saying if you love your pet, keep loving them. We loved our pets. I've always, I've always said that if for some reason I'm wrong and there is a reincarnation, I want to come back as my wife's dog. The Bible says that the righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. Wish I could be a beast sometime. Why is that? Well, there's a psychology behind it. It's because... Man is feeling that void, that emptiness. Something's missing. And it's because they don't have the right relationship with God. They don't understand God's grace and God's love and God's acceptance. They're still living under the Old Testament law. Listen, if you don't understand the grace of God and you're trying to live and do right and maybe you're proud of the things that you do well... If you're not living according to the grace of God, I guarantee you, you've got principles of the law that you feel pretty good about yourself, but you're ignoring the stuff that you don't do so well in. And then your neighbor or your fellow church member that's got the same mentality, they have a different set of things that they're good at, and so they're looking down on you because you're not good at the same list that they're good at. And so people are comparing themselves with one another, criticizing, justifying, and all of that is human nature. You don't have to deal with that with your pets. But having said all of that, can you remember the conviction that you felt when you realized your sinful condition? Paul said in Romans 7, 9, he says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That, that list that God gave just in this passage, liars, perjured person, dishonesty, sexual perversions. I guarantee you, there's not a person here in this room that doesn't have something in their past 
that they would say, yeah, I got that skeleton in my closet. Might have been a time where it's like, yeah, it's no big deal. I'm getting away with it. It's not really bothering me. But when we come face to face with the commandments of God, we realize that, whoa, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with the holy God. Do you remember the changes that God made in your life when you received the gospel or when you got right with the Lord? Galatians 1.23, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. Paul was extreme against the gospel, but he was just as extreme in promoting the gospel after he got saved. Can you relate to that? Have you experienced those changes? Do you have a passion to see God glorified? Paul said in Galatians 1.24, And they glorified God in me. They saw what God had done for Paul, and they glorified him because of it. And I just close with this, this statement. If you can't relate to Paul's testimony, perhaps you need to get a real relationship with God for yourself.